Today on Regionally Speaking, the 12th annual Gary International Black Film Festival kicks off this evening with a huge formal event at the Railcat Stadium. So we're bringing back a conversation with the festival founder, Karen Toring. She details all of the plans for this weekend, including an award ceremony on Sunday. But up first, the Gary Public Transportation Corporation has big plans for its ridership. So we speak with David Wright, the Planning, Marketing, and Grants Manager. He will discuss the service planning as well as a big culminating event happening later on this month. All of that and more on this edition of Regionally Speaking after the news. Good morning and welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Dee Dotson. The Geary Public Transportation Corporation, or GPTC, is once again on the move. The provider of mobility in 10 communities in the Geary, Northwest Indiana area, recently launched GPTC perks as a tribute and thank you to the organization's riders. With new art installations, service expansions, as well as fair discount days, we now turn to David Wright, Planning, Marketing, and Grants Manager for the organization, to get all of the details. David, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you. David, so much is happening with GPTC, and I wanted to spend our time together going over all of the newly launched programs, fair discount days, as well as information on projects and updates to service. So let's get into it. What is GPTC Perks? Well, GPTC Perks is our way of, first of all, thanking um, the riders for for their patronage. Um, You know, the last few years and, you know, this year um, especially have been kind of trying when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to service issues, things like that. But we were able to persevere and we wanted to thank our riders by providing them A, with information, and B, with promotions and discounts just to show that we're ready to bring the organization and transit in Northwest Indiana to an advancement. I think we're at that point, you know, with the, you know, the time of year, with the pandemic, where we're ready to start going forward. We do have a lot going on. There's been a lot of pent of creative energy during the pandemic, so we're really excited about getting out there, talking to people, and starting to implement some of the changes that we've been planning, you know, since before the the pandemic started. And speaking of the pandemic, you know, the the pandemic has spurred what is being called a touch-free revolution, including contactless payments. And it seems like wherever you go, the preferred method of payment is via online, using either a website or an app. And GPTC is moving in that direction as well. So can you take a moment to talk about the Move It Token Transit app, as well as its benefits to GPTC customers? Well, it's convenience and safety. When we first launched it, we were um, intent to make it easier for people to use different payment uh, methods to get on the buses and to board more quickly because all they have to do is show a pass you know, show their phone to the driver and they can get on so they don't have to shuffle with uh, with money. However, with the pandemic, <laughs> as you said, mm-hmm. touchless and contactless became the thing. So during the pandemic, we started really promoting our token transit app and the Move It app and Google Transit as ways, A, of getting information to people on their, their service, you know, what buses they needed to get to, and for payment. 
Um, and our goal was to increase the number of people who were using that, A, because, again, it makes our service run more quickly, and B, it's safer. So at the time of the pandemic, I think between 5 and 8% of our ridership was using contactless fare. Um, at this point, it's between 15 and 20%. So <laughs> we are able to you know, move people in and out of the, on and off the buses more quickly, and it, it's, um, it's safer. It's, it's a lot more uh, sanitary, the way it's being done now. So we're hoping to continue going in that direction, and it's our intent to make it so that you know, travel on transit is as safe and as um, sanitary as possible. David, you've shared GPTC's commitment to your customers to provide quality service. And I understand that GPTC recently launched a program offering fair discounts in response to community feedback. Can you share a bit about that? Sure. In September of this year, we responded to a lot of inquiries about veterans travel by uh, adjusting our fare policy to provide free fares on fixed route and access 219 for any veteran who has um, proper ID or documentation of their veteran status. There are no stipulations, no restrictions. If you board a bus or a van on the system and can provide ID that's showing you have veteran status or something like a DD-214, you can ride free. It's our way of thanking those who sacrificed their time on defending our freedom. It's something that people have been asking us about for years. We took a look at how other, you know, transit agencies have been doing it and decided, you know what, now's the time to do that as we're, you know, improving our service, getting things out there. So we've got a good relationship with veterans. So this was just an advancement in cementing that relationship. Um, For half fares, um, every Friday in October, we're going to be slashing our per-ride fares both on token transit, you know, our mobile app, or for people using cash for boarding our buses. Um, this is kind of a, again, a, a way of saying thanks to people for, you know, for their perseverance, you know, through the pandemic, you know, from 2020 till now. And during the month of October, during the GPTC perks promotion, during on Fridays, we're going to be, you know, slashing our fares by 50%, both on Access 219, the paratransit system, as well as our fixed route transit. For those that may be unfamiliar, can you share what is GPTC's Access 219 and what are the benefits to your customers? Access 219 is our paratransit service. We've been running that, you know, for for decades, but it's always been, you know, basically an offshoot of our our conventional fixed route system. What we wanted to do is provide a, a new brand for that service, which provides curb-to-curb service for people who aren't able, because of a disability, to get to a bus stop. So they can, you know, if they qualify for the service, they can make a call, you know, a day in advance and schedule a pickup um, for, you know, going to doctors, appointments, going shopping, things like that. Basically anything you can do and anywhere you can go on our fixed route bus system, you can use Access 219 to do the same thing. It's just curb-to-curb. We wanted to create a new brand for that to reflect, A, our um, commitment to the paratransit service and those riders, and B, to reflect our commitment to Gary and the entire region in a way that um, was a bit, you know, provided a bit more ownership than just saying GPTC paratransit. It looks like the organization devotes a lot of time to provide updates to customers via social media. Why did GPTC decide to utilize that medium to connect with customers? 
Well, we wanted to um, give people options aside from just calling our you know, dispatch office to, to get information. When we find out there's going to be a service issue, be it a missed trip or a detour or things like that, we want to get it out to people as quickly as possible. So we, we try to remind people to follow us on on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, Gary Transit, and all three of those social media outlets for service information and for promotional information. So when it comes to that, people sometimes have questions, and sometimes people give us information that we don't have. (laughs) So it's kind of incumbent on us to, um, as much as possible, because it's not always possible, to as much as possible have some real-time interaction. If someone has a question or or, or needs a clarification, I think it's great customer service for us to respond as quickly as possible and try to get people information. And what has the customer's response been to this? I saw a lot of real-time interaction as well as responses to customers to customer inquiries. I think it's been very positive. Um, even if it's a, a missed trip, if a bus doesn't come and they want to know why, finding out why and being able to to interact with someone on, you know, when that service is going to be restored, what their options are. And sometimes we can provide, like if you want to get here, that bus didn't come because of, uh, you know, a, a service breakdown, or, you know, a bus breakdown or something like that. Here are your options. There are other ways of getting there in, 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 right. in a lot of cases. They're really appreciative. And sometimes they just want to be able to either vent or, or interact with someone just so they know that there's somebody on the other end of the line or the other end of the, the, the system. So I think almost... Universally, it has been um, it has been um, positively accepted. We're speaking with David Wright, planning, marketing, and grants manager for GPTC. So we're living in an era where community members are committed to being good environmental stewards by reducing their carbon footprint. So take a moment to talk about the electric bus program. Well, we announced the electric bus program uh, actually a couple of years ago. The, the first bus hasn't arrived yet. Um, our four buses will be arriving in spring of 2023. And we've been trying to go in that direction for a while. We actually got a Volkswagen grant, uh, Volkswagen mitigation program grant several years ago. We did our due diligence to figure out the best company for getting our electric buses and, and getting our infrastructure in order for it. We think it's going to be positive in several different ways. A, it elevates the bus network that the electric buses are going to be used on. That's the Broadway Metro Express. It's our rapid bus service, the first rapid bus service in the state of Indiana that we launched in 2018. Broadway is, A, it's congested, so there's a lot of pollution from cars and trucks and, and, and buses. So, and it's also a heat island, meaning that a lot of our emissions and, and heat from all of those um, cars and trucks makes it very hot. So it's very important for us to reduce the pollution on that corridor because it goes through um, poor communities, it goes through middle, uh, middle class and working class communities, and it goes through retail corridors. So reducing the emissions on that route, I think, is the best first step in introducing electric buses. And if the program goes great, it's our full intent to expand the number of electric buses on the, in the fleet. Um, we're working on, you know, trying to come up with ways of measuring the success. We assume and we plan on it being less expensive, A, because fuel costs are much lower um, for, for electricity, and B, there are fewer moving parts, so there should be, you know, lower maintenance costs. So if these are all realized, we will be going forward with more electric buses on more routes in the system. 
we're excited about it, really excited about it. So, David, if you don't mind, I would like to shift our conversation to service planning for just a moment. Are there any updates to routes that you can share with our listening audience? Well, we are going to be providing information as part of the GPDC Perks program um, this month. Uh, if you you know follow us on, on social media, we're going to be providing information and starting the planning process for service improvements in two areas. One is the, the Lakeshore communities. We provide service in Hammond, East Chicago, Highland, and Munster um, right now using the Lakeshore Connection and the Lakeshore South. We are really interested in expanding the Lakeshore network to include Northern Hammond and Whiting. We've got some alternatives in place for that. And starting middle of October, we're going to be releasing a survey that is going to be asking some questions to riders and prospective riders on how best to do that as a first step and as a next step. Once we have information, we could be making some changes as soon as early 2023. We're also going to be starting the planning process for a congestion reduction grant that we hope will not just increase the number of routes of bus um, departures going up and down Grant Street in Gary, but also provide some additional coverage in the middle part of Gary, the central areas of Gary, feeding that Grant Street service and the Broadway service, and also, very importantly, trying to make an additional connection from the University Park area of Gary into Hobart. Um, Hobart and the Northwest Indiana Regional Planning Commission, um, with our input, um, completed a plan for transit in Hobart several years ago. We haven't been able to implement that, but this conjecture reduction grant, it is our hope, can be the first step in starting to improve the connections between the transit-dependent populations in Hobart and the rest of our system. So just to increase mobility, not just in Hobart and Lake Station in those areas, but throughout the area. Great, great. And that route is going to be launched sometime in 2020. We'll service changes because it's probably going to be more than one route. It's going to be launched sometime in 2023. We've already got the money in place, and we're just going to be starting that planning process soon after we complete the surveying for that Lakeshore service. We don't want to have two surveys out at one time. So once we have input from the people in the Hammond area, we'll start asking questions for people in Gary, Lake Station, and Hobart. There are also beautification projects underway as well. How has GBTC collaborated with the community to help everyone remember why the city of Geary is so amazing? Well, it's, it's, it's not just making Gary and Northwest Indiana pretty, but it's also making it safer. We um, were able to uh, secure two grants for what's called tactical urbanism. These are low-cost, sometimes temporary, but, in, in, but mostly low-cost ways to put in uh, additions to our street network and our, um, our environment that can beautify as well as improve how people get around. We identified several areas that needed, you know, um, crosswalk improvement. Um, several are in downtown, but they're actually all over Northwest Indiana. The grants that we got, um, or the grants that we got, are going to improve crosswalks and improve mobility in downtown Gary. We want to make our bus stops safer. We want to make them more visible. And the way we do that is by um, putting a splash of color and making it prettier <laughs> in areas. Right. Near the Metro Center, near 9th Avenue, which is where the Save More Shopping Center is, and near the Steel Yard. We've already started that process. As we speak, there are beautified um, artistic crosswalks at 7th Avenue, 9th Avenue, and 10th Avenue in downtown Gary. 
Um, Ish Muhammad, who's a local artist, he did 7th Avenue. He's going to be doing 6th Avenue as well um, once construction is completed in that area. And a Chicago architectural firm called Could Be Architects, they, um, after a, you know, a series of competitions, they were picked to beautify the area near 9th and 10th Avenue, you know, near Savemore Plaza. They've completed that, and in 2023, they're going to be doing a similar project near the Metro Center downtown. Now, at the same time, <laughs> we got a small grant from an organization called America Walks, and we used that to do a student artwork competition for crosswalks near the um, Steelyard baseball stadium in downtown Gary. Those crosswalks are going to be installed in October, November of this year. Um, we got a couple of students from Glen Park Academy and Marquette who won that competition. So there are going to be some student-designed um, crosswalks near the steel yard when people start coming back to the stadium in spring of 2023. We're really excited about that. We actually, I actually met one of the artists who was involved, uh, who, who won that contest, and we got another local artist who's going to be taking their work and translating it into asphalt paint, and he's going to be doing that installation, like I said, in October, November. And finally, David, I understand GPTC is planning a huge culminating event set for Wednesday, October 26. Can you share what the day will look like and what activities are planned? Well, we are going to be doing a what we're calling a rolling open house. We've been doing we did a fall open house, a fall summit last year at the Gary Public Library that was well received. It was our first in person meeting, you know, since the pandemic began. We want to do it again this year, but this year we're gonna do it on a bus. So we are gonna be identifying the route and announcing the route in question. Um, next week, but it'll either be either the BMX or one of our local routes that goes up and down Broadway at some point, um, just to allow people to board the bus, have a conversation with staff about what we're doing, answer questions from them, you know, from from the riders on you know our service or what we've got planned, and actually see some of these ideas and projects in action. We're going to be repairing bus stops. We actually be passing some of the bus stops that need repair work. We're going to be doing landscaping. We're going to be passing some of those bus stops that need landscaping. And if we end up doing um, a route on the Grand Street corridor, people can actually see why we're putting a focus on improving transit on that corridor. Um, that way, people who are riding <laughs> can ask questions as they're going to and from their destination, and people who just have some questions or an interest or a curiosity in what we're doing and what we've been doing can spend a, an hour or two, you know, with staff and find out what's going on. David Wright is the Planning, Marketing, and Grants Manager for GPTC. David, thank you for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking, sharing all of the information as well as the updates about your organization. And we look forward to having you back with us again real soon. Well, I really appreciate being able to talk about this with you. Anyone who has any questions on the program, they can go to our website, GaryTransit.com, or go to Gary Transit on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and send us a message. That's one of the best ways of asking us a question is by going on social media and asking us that question. And we can get back to you as quickly as we can. The Federal Reserve delivered its bluntest reckoning Wednesday, September 21st of what it will take to finally tame painfully high inflation, slower growth, higher unemployment, and potentially a recession. Speaking at a news conference, Chair Jerome Powell acknowledged what many economists have been saying for months, that the Fed's goal of engineering a quote-unquote soft landing 
in which it would manage to slow growth enough to curb inflation, but not so much as to cause a recession, looks increasingly unlikely. Powell's remarks followed another substantial three-quarters of a point rate hike, its third straight by the Fed's policymaking committee. The latest action brought the Fed's key short-term rate, which affects many consumer and business loans, from 3% to 3.25%. And that's its highest level since early 2008. Joining us today to share his organization's economic outlook for Indiana is PNC Financial Services Assistant Vice President and Senior Economist, Abby Omendundi. Abby, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me. Okay, Abby, so let's just get right into it. At a recent news conference, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said, and I quote, the chances of a soft landing are likely to diminish as the Fed steadily raises borrowing costs to slow the worst streak of inflation in four decades. He went on to say, quote, no one knows whether this process will lead to a recession or, if so, how significant that recession would be. And so my question to you is, what are your takeaways from that news conference? Right. So the chances of avoiding a recession are slimmer now. So recession risks are greater. Um, so the big takeaway basically is that the Fed is going to remain aggressively, you know, they're going to remain aggressive in order to tame inflation. They increased the Fed's funds rate by three quarters of a point. This matched our forecast. And I expect that we're going to see additional big increases in the near term. Another takeaway was just really um, the big revisions to the forecast. The Fed is now more pessimistic about the U.S. economy. So they expect weaker growth this year and next year. They're also expecting higher inflation. And they also expect a higher increase um, in the unemployment rate. So overall, um, just um, a less optimistic Fed compared to uh, their forecast when they met in July. Um, So finally, I I think one thing I took from the meeting was that the Fed is signaling that they're going to keep interest rates elevated for a while. So they forecast that they're going to reach their terminal range in 2023, and then they're going to keep interest rates higher in order to tame inflation. They don't expect inflation to get back to the 2% objective till 2025. Um, so chances of a soft landing or slimmer, um, you know, the Fed is basically going to do whatever it takes to get inflation down to 2%. And I, I really think what they're doing is like they'll rather fix it now than wait to a couple of years to, the, to get inflation back to the 2% objective. Um, you know, given the trajectory of the U.S. economy, given the resilience of the labor market, um, I, I think it's it's a prudent move, and, and I think they're, they've shown that they're committed to do whatever is necessary to get inflation down to the 2% objective. Now, the challenge now will be for them to do that without causing a recession. So what is PNC's national economic outlook? What should we expect in the coming year? Right, so with the, with the aggressive tightening, the Fed started increasing interest rates in March. The last three increases have been three quarters of a point. Um, I, I think with the aggressive tightening, which the Fed has done so far, and which they will continue to do, particularly in the near term, I think we're going to see a slowdown in interest rate sensitive sectors. I think that we are already seeing that in the housing sector. We're seeing declines in starts and permits in recent months. Um, but I think that you know, as mortgage rates increase, we're going to see more slowing in the housing sector. Um, to put things in perspective, mortgage rates were lower than 3% a couple of years ago. 
Now they're about 6%. That's for the 30-year fixed mortgage. Um, so I think that as mortgage rates continue their upward trajectory into 2023, we're going to see further slowing and just uh, more stuffness in the housing sector. Uh, I think we're also going to see softer activity in business investment um, and also in, in consumer spending. Um, so as interest rates continue to increase as inflation remains elevated, we're going to see we're going to see consumers hold back on spending, um, which will cause weaker growth. Um, for the next couple of years. The labor market has been resilient this year with strong demand and weak supply. And I read a recent report that noted that thousands of new jobs have been created month after month in the last quarter. And so to that point, do you believe that there will be an even greater improvement anytime soon? That's a great point, Dee. As, as you mentioned, it's been an incredibly resilient labor market. So the Fed started increasing interest rates in March and as of the last labor uh, jobs report, which was released on the first Friday of this month, an average of over 400,000 jobs have been added to the U.S. economy monthly. So it's been incredibly, incredibly resilient. Um, we also have about two job openings for every unemployed person. Um, so there's still very strong demand from businesses for workers. Um, I think that as consumers hold back on spending, uh, we're going to see a decline in demand from establishment um, for workers. Um, I also think that you know, due to the wage growth, which we've been seeing in the labor market in recent months, you know, that's hopefully going to get some more folks into the labor force. And, you know, and that should lead to more of a balance in the labor force. So the problem now is just extremely strong demand from establishments and very low supply, and very low supply from workers. Um, I think that as the economy slows, uh, we're going to see lower demand from businesses, and we're going to see um, an increased supply you know, from workers, which is hopefully going to bring some more balance into the labor force. So I, I do think that you know we're going to see some slackening in, in the labor market in the next couple of years. It's extremely tight now, um, but as the economy slows, uh, we're likely going to see some slackening and a gradual improvement in the unemployment rate. Great. And so I just have one more question to that point. According to NPR, more than two-thirds of the recessions Americans have experienced since World War II were caused by an increase in interest rates that were too fast for the economy to handle. And so concerns that the U.S. economy could be heading into a recession continue to intensify with each news conference hosted by the Fed. And in some ways, one could argue that while the labor market is strong with tens of thousands of new jobs, as you just shared, 40,000, being created each month, that the Fed's steep rate rises will lead over time to job cuts, rising unemployment, and a full-blown recession late this year or next year. And so I ended our conversation in July with this question, and I'm going to ask you this question again. Is there cause for panic right now? Uh, I think there is more cause for panic now than there was last week. I think that it's going to be an incredibly difficult task for the Fed to pull off. Um, I think that you know inflation has been stickier than the Fed forecasted. Um, you know, many economists and um, even Fed Fed officials also expected inflation to be transitory. Uh, you know, we've seen an increase in inflation this year. Um, so, you know, there's more cause for panic now than there was about a week ago. You know, but I am confident that you know we're going to see more encouraging data in the near term. Um, I expect to see slower job growth, particularly. Um, I think that you know, the labor market is a big concern for the Fed. And I think if we see some softer activity there, 
Uh, you know, I think that we, the Fed will, should be able to pull this off in the next couple of years. Abby Omendundi is an assistant vice president and senior economist for the PNC Financial Services Group. Abby, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking, and we look forward to having you back next month with another look at the local, state, and national economy. Sure. Thanks so much, Dee. The 12th annual Geary International Black Film Festival commences Friday, October 7th with a special opening night red carpet in partnership with the Urban League Young Professionals of Northwest Indiana, featuring a special tribute to Gary Goff champion Ann Gregory and a special screening of the film Playing Through. The 2022 Fest features both virtual and unique in-person offerings across the city of Geary, including a drive-in movie night, as well as a closing night award ceremony featuring a special presentation to the inaugural GIBFF Fellows. The 12th annual Geary International Black Film Festival stays true to its roots as an international diaspora festival with narrative and documentary films from nine countries across the black diaspora. Joining us today is festival founder and proud Geary native, Karen Toring. Karen, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me. Karen, so you join us each year to share the details of what this year will mark the 12th annual Geary International Black Film Festival. Before we get into what you and your team have planned for October 7th through October 9th, for our listeners that may not have heard of this cultural event, can you share what is the Geary International Black Film Festival? And along with that, please take a moment to share your connection to the region and why you found it crucial to host it year after year in your hometown of Gary. And I should note that I'm only asking you this question because you have a very busy schedule hosting and supporting the arts on the West Coast. Is that correct? I do. I uh, Right now I live in Seattle, Washington, but I grew up in Gary and I graduated from Emerson High School. And then I went to uh, Purdue University down at the West Lafayette campus. So Gary is my home. Uh, and that's kind of how this festival came about. Um, a group of friends and I were talking about the work that I do out here in Seattle. And uh, it was really more of a challenge, you know, they, because my friends were like, nothing like this will ever happen in Gary. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll bet it can. And the first year we, you know, we didn't know what, what we were doing, you know, basically, and got together, um, put a few films together, reached out to some filmmakers that we knew, both national and local, and uh, did the first Gary International Black Film Festival uh, 11 years ago. This is our 12th year. So that our listening audience can just get a bit of insight into who Karen is, can you please share where did your love for film begin? You know, a lot of people ask me that question, and they think that I am a filmophile, you know, a person right. who studies film and, and, you know, researches and has a deep background in history and film. And that's not necessarily the case. It's more of, I am a big film fan. I love watching films. And even more uh, so than that, I love watching films with other people and talking about, you know, what we saw and what we experienced. And that's kind of how I began starting to curate films here in Seattle. And then, you know, just took that same knowledge that I built working with uh, the Langston Hughes African-American Film Festival, now the Seattle Black Film Festival, 
and translated that to the work that we do in Gary. So it's really, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, like a, a, a highfalutin film festival. It's really more a festival of, of friends. You know, it's, it's a people's film festival. Karen, for some, seeing a woman that looks like you from the region and in the context that we are speaking of today of planning and organizing a major film festival, that is almost unthinkable. And what I mean by that is that you think about Northwest Indiana. Sure, it's right in the backyard of Chicago, a pretty booming town right now for filmmaking. But there is no real pipeline to the creative industry for people right here in Northwest Indiana and particularly in Gary. Right. To that point, representation matters, right? So can you explain the importance of festivals such as the Gary International Black Film Festival? Yeah, and emphasis on the black. Let's start with that. You know, uh, there are no working cinemas in the city. And so uh, folks who live in Gary literally have to go out of town to watch your film. And then all of the content that is, uh, you know, that is in theaters right now are basically built for a mass audience, not necessarily uh, people who look like me and, and black folks in Gary. Uh, and even the content that we get, you know, uh, with all of the channels on, on cable and off-air channels, you know, representation really, really does matter. And so what we try to do with the Gary International Black Film Festival is to, to bring that representation forward for people in Gary to see. So they don't have to go out of town to see, you know, very nuanced and a, and a broad section of stories about people who look like us. So they can see themselves represented in a lot of different ways. In the mainstream media, we have more of a two-dimensional representation of what blackness is. But when you look at independent film and independent content creators, you recognize that when we tell our stories, we tell a much more nuanced and much more layered stories about what it is to be black or what it is like being black, living in a world that doesn't necessarily support our blackness. We're speaking with Karen Toring, Gary Native and founder of the Gary International Black Film Festival. Okay, Karen, and to your point, like in years past, this year the festival will host films from around the globe displaying the black diaspora. The diversity of the film selected is sort of an opportunity to see the complexity of the black experience. So when you and your team sit down to choose what films to show as part of the festival, what do you guys even look for? Well, that's interesting because uh, in the last, I think, three years, we've actually opened up the selection process to the community. So we work with uh, a group of volunteers, many of of everyday people, you know, and some people who have, you know, expertise in the filmmaking industry, et cetera. And collectively, that group will review films that are submitted. We usually open up the submissions sometime in late May or June. And uh, over the summer, we look at films that come in through submissions. And it's that committee, that group of people that actually uh, tell us which films they like. And from that selection of films is what we curate the festival from. Oh, wow. That's a quite interesting. And for me, I'm not that familiar with organizing film festivals, but it seems like it's a unique opportunity, correct? It really is. And, you know, what it does is it 
sort of uh, takes the mystery out of the film festival and puts it in the hands of people who are most likely to come, right? You know, a lot of film festivals will, you know, will, will use sort of experts and industry folks. And what we realize is that we want people like us, you know, everyday folks, to love and come to the festival. You know, watch the films that, that both that best resonates with them. And, you know, if you have that lived experience, why not you or why not your neighbor down the street? Or, you know, so like a good half of the folks who are actually reviewing the films are from Gary and the greater uh, Lake County area. Right. And it seems with this new approach, it seems that it goes back to the original format of watching film with friends, correct? Right. You know, and that's what we want this festival to feel like. The filmmakers also appreciate that because they know that people that are coming to this particular festival are coming for them. They're coming to see films that are made by and about people who look like them. So speaking of the film festival itself, the 12th annual Gary International Black Film Festival, in partnership with the Urban League Young Professionals of Northwest Indiana, will feature a special tribute to Gary Golf Champion Ann Gregory on Friday, October the 7th, with a red carpet reception and screening. So why don't you go ahead and take a moment and walk us through what the weekend will actually look like? All right. I, I'm happy to do that. So, the you know, the film festival actually starts on Thursday the 6th uh, with a, uh, yeah, we're having a fun little party over at the Gary South Shore Railcat party deck. Oh, uh, where nice. We'll be able to experience art from local artists, a DJ, have some little bites, and then we're going to show some snippets of some of the films that they will be able to see. So we're going to have like a pre-funk kickoff party. And during the day on Thursday, people can actually start watching films because this year, just like last year, we're doing a hybrid film festival. And I think a lot of film festivals are moving to that format permanently. In 2020, you know, when the pandemic hit, film festivals are scrambling because, you know, a film festival is technically an in-person experience. Uh, And so a lot of our film festivals went online and so did we. So 2020, our festival was all online. In 2021, we took a little bit of a risk. We felt like people had, you know, sort of, you know, wanted to get out and wanted to, you know, see films in person. And so we did a few films in person and most of the festival hybrid. And that worked out really well. And we learned that we were getting audiences from around the world. And so we've adopted that hybrid format going forward. So this year, everything that you can see in person, you will also be able to see online. And so we'll start off on, on Thursday with, uh, with the kickoff party at the Railcat Stadium. On Friday, we'll have the traditional red carpet experience where you can come in, walk the red carpet. We'll have a very special exhibit uh, for Anne Gregory who's featured in our opening night film. It's called Playing Through. On Saturday, we kick off the day with virtual films that you can watch at home. And then we want you to come down to Indiana University at Savannah Hall in the Berglund Auditorium, where we will be showing a film called We're Still Here, which is about a documentary about Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. And then following that, 
We'll have a special presentation at one o'clock of our real rundown fellows. This is our first inaugural fellowship that we did with Dion Taylor and his company, Hidden Empire. Dion Taylor is also one of Gary's own, and he has a lot of films that you've probably seen, like Meet the Black, Supremacy, Traffic, and a whole bunch of films. And Saturday is also Dion Taylor Day, so folks can online watch our Dionathon. So that's three of Dion's movies that you can get for the price of one. And then Saturday night, we have a drive-in theater uh, on the campus of Indiana University. Uh, we did it last year. People loved it. And we'll be doing that again Saturday night at 6 o'clock. And we'll be showing this incredible film uh, starring Saul Williams called Aquila's Escape. And then on Sunday, we start again with virtual films. And then we have some in-person films. I think we have... Uh, on Sunday, we're, we have a film uh, called It's Different in Chicago. That may be Saturday, so check the schedule to make sure. Um, and then we have uh, panels that are happening on Sunday. But the big, big thing that's happening on Sunday is our awards ceremony. So it's packed. So I, I say put your, put your sneakers on because yeah. either you're going to you know sit at home and enjoy all of the content that we have online or you can come down to Indiana University Northwest and watch it in person, which is my preference. I love watching films with other folks. Right, because you can kind of high-five each other or cry yes. together. And, and, or and be like, girl, did you see that? Right. Did you do what I thought he did? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It just makes the movie-watching experience so much more exciting, at least for me. So, so for a lot of the filmmakers whose body of work will be highlighted throughout this weekend, it is their first film and or it will be the first time their work will be shown on this scale. Mm -hmm. I, I guess you can even submit that it is a pat on the back and probably that little extra push that they need to continue to master their craft. Would exactly. you agree? And have you had any feedback from filmmakers of, of past festivals? Oh, yeah. We get feedback from filmmakers all the time. Uh, you know, and for the ones who uh, are emerging and, and this is their first time, you know, screening at a festival, this is, you know, their chance to get real and authentic feedback from, from the audiences. And many of the filmmakers that have been at the Gary International Black Film Festival have gone on to, to bigger and better things. And, you know, we love to tell the story about the very first film. I was going to ask you. Showed. Let's hear. I was going <laughs> to ask you. Go ahead. Yes. We love telling that story, right? Mm -hmm. The very first film that we showed at the Gary International Filmmaker was by a little-known filmmaker. This was like, <laughs> I think, her second film called, uh, I Will. the name of the film was I Will Follow, and the name of the filmmaker is Ava DuVernay. And so one of the things that that tells you is that small festivals like the Gary International Black Film Festivals that, that exist in the shadow of, you know, larger film festivals like the Chicago International Film Festival and Black Harvest Film Festival over in Chicago still have the ability to bring that kind of content from filmmakers that you may not know right now, but someday you will know. And uh, we have a lot of those stories uh, from the 12 years of the filmmaking that we've done. Absolutely. And I think that is a testament to the hard work that you and your team do. So and I always like to ask you to to share that story because it's it's an exciting, yeah, you, awesome you, story. Honestly, it's, it's, we don't even know. You know, I mean, this 
take this film that we're playing opening night, mm-hmm. playing through. The filmmaker submitted it with, with very little fanfare. And when we watched it, we were like, oh, my goodness, this is a film about somebody from Gary that none of wow. us knew about. You know, and Anne Gregory broke all kinds of records and broke the color barrier at Gleason Park, even. And, you know, we grew up in Gary and had no idea that she existed. So we never know what's going to come to the festival and we never know who's going to come to the festival. And, you know, we never know what their trajectory after the film festival is going to be. So, you know, I just tell people, stay tuned because you are going to see somebody you saw in Gary on film festival weekend, you will see in Hollywood someday. That I can guarantee you. Karen, in the time that we have left, you touched on this earlier, that like in the previous two years since the pandemic, the festival will continue to offer both in-person as well as virtual opportunities to participate as well as support these emerging artists. The festival will play host to dozens of films, panels, and live stream events, as you shared, as well as the opportunity for in-person screenings and sort of kind of high-fiving your your seatmate as well. Can you provide the details on how to purchase tickets for the 12th annual Gary International Black Film Festival? The simple way is to just go to GaryBlackFilmFest.org. From there, you can either buy a full festival pass, an opening night ticket, see the schedule, and all of that is a click away. Now, for the in-person events, you can buy tickets either online or you can buy tickets at the door for those events. But... um, if you uh, want to buy a pass for the whole festival, you can do that and see both the in-person and the virtual films at your leisure. We also have a virtual pass for folks that just want to see all of the virtual films. So, yeah, we, there are a lot of options, and you can find all of those options at GaryBlackFilmFest.org. Karen, I know that you do not do the work you do putting on the Gary International Black Film Festival for the accolades, for the honor or recognition, rather for the love of film, but also for providing a platform for emerging artists. But most importantly, you do it for the love of your hometown of Gary. So we thank you so much for joining us on Reasonably Speaking. Oh, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to come and share with y'all and y'all are always so gracious and we appreciate it. Karen Toring is a Gary native and the founder of the Gary International Black Film Festival. For more information, you can visit www.garyblackfilmfest.com. For Lakeshore Public Radio, I'm Dee Dotson. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for today. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.